Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Mike. <laughs> Do you want to keep that in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just thought I'd try to throw something at you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you'll have to explain, but I don't know if I do have that's to appropriate. Explain. Yeah, yeah. And the explanation is that uh, I was I had my friend Mike over, and uh, we were uh, he was helping me move some stuff around, and it was in the garage area, which is where I normally record. And I kept wanting to call him John, because the only voice in my head for the last like year when I'm in that area is John. Uh, and even though he was in person and not on the phone as we are, I was like, uh, his name's not John. <laughs> to keep like... <laughs> yeah. So now you're taking it out on me. Now I'm taking it out on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good morning, John. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about mystification and demystification as it relates to education. Um, and this is something that we, we actually used just that term, uh, mystification, in a very early episode that we tried to record. We did record, but then we later decided that it wasn't worthy of publishing. Uh, right. Because it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So hopefully that, I don't think that's going to happen this time. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> now, we kind of came, you know, thought of this topic uh, to discuss today based on a couple of things we were talking about, some experiences that we had in teaching when we were colleagues. And um, there was this one guy, this one teacher. So oh, let's just start with this. He, his classroom was next to mine. He was a history teacher. And let's come up with, we're not going to use his name, uh, but let's, let's call him <laughs> Smith. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith. And so he called his classroom Smith's World. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you walked into his room, he referred to it as Smith's World. And he put in some effort, I think, you know, this is the way I interpreted it, of trying to arrange his room in a way and have his room classroom had characteristics that would kind of signal to the students that this wasn't a normal classroom. Right. Right. This isn't a classroom where you have to follow the, the normal rules of school and, and the teacher-student relationship. Like the clock was kind of tilted. It was sideways. Uh, rotated. <laughs> yeah, like sideways. Yeah. So you had to, you know, whatever, turn your head. <laughs> to, I mean, you could still read it normally, but <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, whatever. You it couldn't was not, just glance, you couldn't glance at the clock and get information. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which may be some, based on some insight into students always waiting for class to be over and always checking and the clock. movie posters all around. Right. And, yeah, movie posters yeah. all around, which kind of made it feel like this is a fun place. You know, it's yeah. it's a little irreverent maybe, you know, because typically in a classroom, the posters are reminders of like, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. <laughs> you right. Know, like these kind of <laughs> motivational preaching right. messages. Right. About success and, and everything. Uh, or just posters like, you know, with educational content on them. Right. And And the desks weren't arranged neatly. They were just all over the place. Just however uh, the kids left them. And <laughs> right. Yeah. However yeah. they left them. Yeah. And so like his approach, which I admired, in, you know, in fact, and, and he was one of the first teachers I became kind of familiar with or I, I talked to when I started working at that school. And, and that was my first year of teaching. And I was really impressed by what he was doing. It really appealed to me, which his idea was to try to, um, I don't know, go like find a way around the normal types of uh, patterns of thinking and behavior that we talk about a lot, that are the institutionalized ways of thinking and behavior that that school trains students to uh, to have that get in the way of their authentic learning. Right. 
Right. So in a lot of ways, his approach to his classroom is really in line with the kind of theory and philosophy and, and approach that we that promote. We espouse here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we espouse. Um, but there was a problem, right, um, which was that it didn't, you know, at first I assumed that students would really love being in his class. Uh, but over the years, I started to kind of understand that they didn't, <laughs> or at least like a, a significant number of them really didn't. Uh, either they didn't get what he was trying to do or they right. they weren't convinced by it. Or, or something, something was, there was a real sort of breakdown there. Well, and this and, is like a, a yeah, it's a, cer- a certain handful that, um, that, uh, that we got to know fairly well, I guess. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that, and, uh, and it wasn't so much that it was like, uh, um, yeah, it was, I, I would say like, it seemed like the classroom was, uh, it had to be treated with, you know, different rules, but it was still, uh, being treated by the students with just like, you know, go into the room and do the thing that you're expected to do in that room. But it was, you know, they didn't look forward to it necessarily. It was just another, they just had to come up with a new set of rules for, for for this classroom. Right, right. And maybe it had its own particular stress and pressure that because right. it was different from what they're they're used to, they resented it a bit, right? Because at least as long as you know what to expect going from class to class, you know the game, right? And right. you can play the game however much you resent it and uh, are ready to be done with it. But at least it's a it's a game that you know how right. to play. And especially these the kind of students that he had were typically advanced students. So, which tells you already that that they're pretty, um, you know, proficient at playing the game, right? Right. And so, I think part of it comes with that. And I faced some of that also, you know, in my experience teaching at that school, especially at a public school like that. When you the advanced students are are really um, that's the that's a big key to their success. Yeah, is, they. Is they yeah, when we <laughs> when we introduced one of our our approaches, like we got a lot of resistance just because right. it was like it was so different. Right. Um, yeah. We worked one summer working hard on like a new approach to to getting to the students, and um, and we <laughs> and we we thought they'd be so excited. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. We didn't anticipate the the level of you know. Now this might seem like uh, portraying it uh, too cynically or or whatever, but the in, the extent to which the students had been institutionalized, <laughs> right? Right. And, right. and indoctrinated. <laughs> and this is actually really. Oh, okay, and we're going to take this back to mystification, you know, in a little bit, just yeah. <laughs> for anyone who was who was, you know, tracking that topic, and then no, it doesn't seem like we're talking about <laughs> mystification at all. But I just wanted to also add that uh, this institutionalized mindset, what I would, you know, this is what I would call it, of the students, which which leads them to resist liberation, <laughs> which putting it in such you know terms yeah. that are advent, you know. Uh, uh, it's stark and extreme, and yeah, and, exactly, and and, and uh, rhetorically no. benef- you know, advantageous, right? <laughs> to yeah. what I'm saying, right. so I'm aware of that. Yeah, uh, but so they would resist this liberation uh, because of the comfort of the institution, the comfort right. of the game that they've grown so used to playing and that they know. And they feel security in that because at least they they understand what the odds, you know, that they're up against are. And and so that's when I started comparing it to to a prisoner mentality. Uh, I don't this may be a myth or whatever, but like the movie Shawshank Redemption, you know, it's a sort of uh, famous part of that movie when uh, one of the old prisoners who's, you know, who's been incarcerated for a long, he's, you know, he's like an elderly guy by the time he's released. Yeah. He, he goes out into 
you know, uh, free life again. He gets a job and, you know, he has an apartment and everything like that. And he ends up committing suicide, right? And then the explanation, I think, given in the movie is that, you know, they get so used to the life on the inside, right, in the, yeah. in the prison, that when they when they get, when they're free, they can't handle it, right? Right. Uh, they don't have the security or, or the comfort or they don't have the life that they're, that they're used to. And so I started developing this, this idea that students are the same way, that they've been institutionalized to such an extent through their schooling, of the relationship being, uh, you know, towards their learning and the content and the the way they're assessed and the way they're they're evaluated, uh, the relationship between the teacher and the students. That if you change that, it creates a lot of discomfort for them, right, and can lead to to a lot of resistance. So anyway, like I think that's part of it. That's a big part of the explanation of why a significant number of students did not appreciate what this teacher, uh, Mr. Smith, was trying to do. Right. Uh, but. This is what gets us to mystification because you and I were talking about this and we were we were saying that probably in you know in my opinion the biggest problem the biggest mistake that he made was not helping them to understand what he was doing uh, right because I think yeah. his approach yeah go ahead. no no I, I, yeah I think the uh, and this <laughs> I'm sort of like wanting to point out that this is a mistake that uh, any that is easy to make anytime you're trying to uh, get the students to adjust their approach to learning uh, in your classroom is, is yeah. failing to just clarify what's going on here. Because, I mean, right. the, the, like you're uh, – so much of uh, – I think this happens especially – I'm going to – you know, it's not a, so much a critique of public school. It's just like the structure of public school or even just big schools where uh, the, the classroom is the moment you get the students – and you have to accomplish so much in there. And like, yeah. if you feel like one of the things that you have to do is, is, is like break, break the mold, you know, and, right. and say, you know, don't come in here with your, your normal ideas about a classroom. And it doesn't feel like you have time to explain what you're doing because you're, you're a content teacher. You know, you're right. like, right. You, they're not coming in for educational theory. They're, they're coming in for, you know, English or history or math right. or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and the students themselves, by the time they come to your class, they've developed their own kind of unconscious educational theory. Right. Right. Which they've absorbed from from the environment and their experiences. And it it's very close to the or uh, exactly the educational theory that that the school as an institution is is structured upon. Right. Not necessarily what what it would say that it's it's educational theory and philosophy is, but but what's actually happening. Right in class and, and in the school, and so in that, and that's exactly, I guess, what this indoctrination or institutionalization is: is that the students absorb this, and it becomes their view of education and learning. And uh, so, yeah, like what I would compare the approach of this teacher, just from what I observed and from what I could tell, was kind of like in the movie uh, uh, Karate Kid, right, right. with uh, <laughs> Mr. Miyagi, yeah, yeah. and Daniel Sun, right, <laughs> that. Which I was just thinking, you know, I was thinking uh, that we should do, we could do a movie review of, of Karate Kid because it really is, there's a lot of, you know, teaching there. Right. <laughs> and, um, but so, you know, for anyone who's seen the movie uh, or if you haven't seen the movie, Daniel is this kid who's trying to learn karate from a book 
at the beginning of the movie, right? Uh, and there's the scene where he first first meets Mr. Miyagi. This is Mr. Miyagi is like the maintenance guy at his apartments, I think. And he comes in, you know, to to fix something. And he sees uh, Daniel has he has this book open and he's practicing like some kicks kicks or punches that he's looking in the book. And um, so they form, you know, sort of they start. I don't remember the details of it, but they start hanging out together <laughs> somehow. Right. And and Mr. Miyagi starts teaching him karate, but he does it through these really indirect ways, like making him do chores. Right. Yeah. And like painting the fence and uh, waxing the car. Sanding and the floor. Sanding the floor. Painting yeah. the house. Painting the house. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the four. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then later in the movie, you realize, because Daniel's getting like pretty annoyed that he's spending so much time working on Mr. Miyagi, you know, like doing improve, home improvement for Mr. Miyagi. Right. right? And, and, you know, waxing his cars. And he's like, when are you going to teach me some karate? And then Mr. Miyagi says, you know, like paint the fence. And he throws a, Mr. Miyagi throws a punch and Daniel does the motion like painting the fence and he blocks the punch. Right. And right, so this yeah. is where you, when you realize, oh, he's been training him all along. Right. Yeah. Just didn't realize it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like the whole time, you know, he's all particular about how you, you know, your form for painting. The exactly. Fence. And, and and it's right, like yeah. a really like you, you know you obviously get a, an idea that that's where it's going because he's like <laughs> you know you want you I mean it's like it looks like the most uncomfortable painting technique <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah but yeah uh, you get the idea this is for some disciplining of the form and technique right right know, but, but Dan, as far as Daniel's concerned he has no idea that this right, is, right. is happening so and then so when that moment comes where Daniel understands right how well he's been taught without him even realizing it uh this is i would say making a case for teaching through you know in a through a, a method that's mystified right? right it's it's sort of uh it's it's kind of saying that it's not necessary for the the student to understand why he has he's doing the things that he's being told to do and and even to some extent maybe it's even better that he doesn't know right uh, yeah. and i would call this mystification of the learning process because it the, okay. the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the process yeah. itself is being concealed from from the learner, and um, I think this is a big mistake. Maybe for karate, it's good. Still, I, but I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> for for karate movies, it's probably good. For karate movies, it's excellent. Right, it makes for a really good movie. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, the the mystification. Uh, yeah, I I a hundred percent agree. It's it, it's something where you well well well. We should talk about this in terms of like there's an unconscious mystification and a conscious mystification. Yeah. And already, right, already uh, a student in school has has this system uh, that he or she has to navigate. Um, and much of that system is actually mystified, even yeah. though there's no like being, like conscious being behind like how does a student you know interpret the the wholeness of the school right. or of the school system if you start to dig then you'll find that a lot of it's, it's mystified and then there's right. sort of conscious mystification where you have like a a teacher uh um who's uh, uh who's you know maybe trying to do things but also has the the miyagi mystification thing going on uh, at the same time which is right. um yeah, so you 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 I think what that results in is is that you have students who are coming in, they've come into a system that is generally like confusing or maybe not adhering to their internal motivations, not harmonizing with their internal motivations. Uh 
but you know they're stuck there. And so they come up with their, their rules to get through it so that hopefully one day they can use their internal motivations to get somewhere yeah. <laughs> in life. Right. And then uh, uh, and, and then I think the um, – well, and I think the other side of it, though, <clears throat> and, and fair, you know, to try to be a little devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when a teacher does do the uh, – you know, throws everything up in the air – but still maintains a, a mystical, like, uh, or mystified uh, experience, then um, then I, I think in the case of, like, a really trusting student, <laughs> right, who's yeah. uh, uh, who just, like, completely submits to the wisdom of the teacher, then, yeah, maybe you can have a, a Miyagi moment right. where suddenly, oh, I did all this work, and now I see that, um, that I have learned. But, right. but, mm. but yeah, I, but I think that the trouble is, is that people are way too, uh, <laughs> all of us, right? I, I think we can all appreciate the, the instinct to be concerned about uh, how will this make me like better or happier or more successful? Um, right. Or, why is this or worth do, my time? And why effort? is this worth my time? Right. Yeah. Right. right. And, and to take it back to this, this teacher, uh, Mr. Smith and in his classroom, Smith's world, the reason why I think this is relevant to, to his classroom is because he would, from what I understand, again, because I was never a student in his class and, and I never even observed his class. <laughs> so, you know, it's just based on like, you know, the information and, and sense that I got. Well, actually, this is one thing he did show to me and explain to me what he does is at the beginning of a typical unit, you know, of study, he would give the students a piece of paper that just had jumbled terms, you know, and concepts and things that, that they needed to know. Or, you know, that was the, uh, the idea of it is like, here's what you need to, to learn. And they had a process of doing it, um, which involved, I think, uh, what do you call mind it? Mind maps. Mind maps, yeah, yeah. or uh, it's another term for them. I, I, did, I did observe. <laughs> I mean, oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, anyway, were, like, yeah, basically, yeah, go ahead. It was mainly yeah. students working. I mean, that's uh, yeah. students talking, students working. Like, I, I'm not sure I ever saw any sort of lecture. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, and that was that was one of the keys of, of, like, one of the big differences, right? Is that in a history class, like I think what you traditionally and conventionally expect is that the teacher is going to lecture on events or, you know, people in history and just tell you, like, basically what happened, what the causes and effects were, <laughs> you know, what the results were, why is this important? Like, I think history class in particular, uh, we tend to think of it as needing a lecture format. And uh, but there was, yeah, it seemed like it was totally devoid of lecture. It was just the students were supposed to go and do the research on their own and find this information and make the connections and, and I guess, come to their own conclusions about causes and effects and, right. and some approach to learning history where you would realize that it needs to be interpreted, for example. Right, and that, right, yeah. You know, you need to have a thesis and a, make some claims about these things that it's not, that that in itself, those in itself aren't facts, right? The claims and interpretations, which is admirable. Again, like like this is, I think, it's exactly great. the kind of <laughs> yeah, improvement it's, it's, yeah. yeah, that needs. So the question is like, you know, why didn't it seem to work that well or why didn't the students really appreciate it now you could just say that they hadn't you know they hadn't reached that point maybe after they graduated from high school and they went to college or something they had their you know uh 
moment with Mr. Miyagi, you know, <laughs> where right, they right. paint the fence and they realize it. it's yeah, possible, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess my guess, just speculating, is that I think it was because it took this mystified approach, like uh, where it, it was just really like sink or swim. Like you just throw them into the situation. They can see that it's different. They can see that the expectations are, are, aren't the same as the usual expectations, but there's no real guidance when it comes to this new way of approaching their learning, new way of approaching history and class. You know, I, I really think that in, in, in cases like that, it's it's better to engage with those students in a, in a mode of, you know, in a respectful way and guide them through that as much as you can, right? Now, like the, the argument against that, I guess, would be saying, well, you're just handicapping them. You're just, you know, holding their hand and they're not going to grow. They're not going to experience the, the hard development that they need. If you do that, it's kind of like a you know, the mystification approach is kind of like a tough love approach. Yeah. Right. Whereas where you see somebody that's, you know, needs help, they're experiencing some problems and you just, you know, put them in a situation where they just have to realize everything on their own and, you know, and they have to face, uh, they have to confront these things. So in this case, I would say the students have to confront the fact that they're lost without someone telling them what to think. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, I I guess I, yeah, I (laughs) Sorry. My uh, opinion about this is just that it's better to demystify things, right? Like more explanation is better um, because I, I kind of feel like the mystification approach is is disrespectful. It's it's kind of an approach that you you take to it's a that for someone or towards something that you don't respect its uh, rational ability, right? Like the the student's ability to understand the right. So uh, yeah. take it back to the Karate Kid. Right. right. So it makes for for uh, a less good movie <laughs> if 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 Miyagi is like, oh, you have to uh, to do this for, you know, 2000 times to get the muscle memory. And so right. we're going to learn it by by getting my <laughs> my fence painted. Yeah. Uh, too. And, and so like so this so like now the now the student doesn't participate like he's he's not aware of learning and so um and so like it's, it's yeah sorry to now I'm going to sound like I'm just repeating you so that is is this sort of rational capacity uh, yeah. to to understand and for his his rational mind to be a part of that uh, process uh is yeah, it's completely thrown out. Right. Now, as I'm saying this, I'm starting to think, well, you know, I wonder if there's times where you where you want to handicap yeah. them. The, <laughs> but but like it seems karate. like an <laughs> it seems like an <laughs> academics. Yeah. Uh, it seems like an academics that the first thing the 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 capacity that you want, you know, ever present is the is the rational capacity. For, right. Yeah. For understanding. Yeah, what's exactly. Going on. Uh, this has actually given me more respect for Karate Kid now, uh, because you know, like I, I was describing that first scene when Mr. Miyagi sees Daniel practicing from the book. I think there's probably a lot to be said for over intellectualizing something physical, like like karate or or sports, right? That in in probably in a lot of ways, thinking or being you know intellectual about those pursuits gets in the way of, of progress and development with them. Because a lot of it, it will be just muscle memory or feel, 
Right. Uh, and maybe Mr. Miyagi said, okay, this kid is overthinking this. And um, now he could have maybe explained that to him. <laughs> you know? Right. But, but then again, explaining that to him is just encouraging this overthinking to a certain extent. Right. Right. Like I could exactly. see that That's... would make sense. Right. Like right. As, from a coach or, you know, someone who's teaching someone a physical skill. I could see how that, that would make sense. But like you said, yeah, exactly what you said. When it comes to intellectual pursuits... <laughs> right like like academics history uh now even yeah i don't i don't know any everything you would do in school in a classroom you know with books it it yeah it it doesn't make sense it's not about muscle memory it's not about the feel of it right it's it's really about awareness it's about being uh conscious and thinking now there is a there is a definite way in which someone might be overthinking certain things and that gets in the way of uh, making you know some progress in writing a paper or, or whatever but actually I think in this case it's the opposite right like these students who've been trained to approach school in a certain way it's become like muscle memory for them yeah you know their problem is they're not thinking about it at all right they're just they've just become totally automatic right and the, the way to the way out of that isn't to learn some new automatic way of being right the, the way out of that is to become conscious and to think and um, and I think that's the mistake of the mystification in in education and, and by a teacher when it comes to intellectual things is that thinking is exactly what you need to be good at and, and to get better at and and to question things. Right? Well, all the way and and all the way down too. I, I think that's your point, and is is that the the, the thinking needs to be uh, I guess reason needs to be informing the student. Not just of the content of the class, but of the purpose of education. Right. Uh, right. Th- that has to be. Yeah. I mean that. That's great. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nice fantasy world there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this uh, was it. Last episode we were talking about. Uh, yeah, behavioralism and and the uh, conditioning. Yeah. Uh, and this is, I think, really, you know, related to that, too. And, and what we're talking about, facility manipulation. Right, yeah. And all those things. Those are all, like, ways of capitalizing on unconsciousness, you know, or mindlessness. Right, yeah. And in order to, to achieve some outcome that has been externally decided, right? Uh, and it's, it's a, these are all ways, you know, to varying degrees... Uh, of objectifying students and human beings, and and this is another one, and and yeah, like, but again, I think that that the key to it is that we're talking about rational activities, right, and pursuits, or like uh, ostensibly that's what we are talking about, and this is where it raises this question: is like maybe that's not what we're really after, you know, we meaning as a society or as you know the institution of a school, maybe that's not what we're really after when we you know put kids in an, in a history class or an English class or a science class, you know, uh, maybe we are, you know, the institution is trying to achieve some kind of muscle memory and automat, you know, automaticity. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to go sound all conspiratorial now, but I'm just saying like, not in like some, you know, dark, you know, conspiratorial way, but but like really in in a just approach to human beings kind of way. Yeah. I think further distinctions need to be made though because I think what happens in terms of what society's after I think you I think you're right well I, I think society just sort of like never really changes the uh, society that's now yeah I don't like talk, <laughs> talking talking yeah. like this but yeah I th- I think we 
uh, we've inherited a lot of practices that haven't made any uh, distinctions between how you educate a young child versus how you educate an older child versus how you educate a young adult uh, who's effectively not a child anymore, uh, except um, except on you know maybe on paper, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's able able of taking care of himself or herself, uh, even if we don't uh, even if we don't like to believe that sometimes. <laughs> right. Um, and, and and I think like that that early education has this assumption which is pretty safe, which yeah. is that. Uh, and this isn't to say that like early education is like flawless, but a pretty safe assumption of a student will uh, come to a task with quite a bit of energy uh, yeah. to accomplish that task. And and it's not, you know, a student doesn't need to be, you know, told this is why you're learning. There's just a strong instinct to learn. Right. Uh, and now th- that can get killed. <laughs> right. It's not, it's not to say that that can't get killed. It's just like uh, the, the, the energy for... Um, for just coming to a task is as high and, you know, the younger you are, the higher the energy is. Right, yeah. And, and it's not and, motivated by necessarily like uh, rationality or intellectualizing right. the activity. Right. And, and not at all. You know, the, the younger you get, the you know, that's maybe completely absent. And then maybe through the elementary years, that's, that starts to develop, but it's still not fully there. Right. And, and I'm, I'm sure there's you know, someone might say, "Well, it's not fully there," is you know, for teenagers either. Yeah. And and I mean, it, yeah, yeah, reason can always be improved upon, but but the thing that is there is like motivation, right? It's yeah. Uh, uh, and and ultimately, what needs to happen in education is is that uh, I'll make a statement for society is that is that we need people to uh, uh, be controlled more by their rational capacity than by sort of instinctual responses. Yeah. Uh, so the ultimate like goal uh, when you're releasing students <laughs> from this is, is, yeah. that, that, is that you've nurtured that rational capacity over time where it wasn't really there in the early years, but it's, you know, it's very much coming on board. And then it might be there uh, let's say by the time a kid's like 10 or 11, but if it's not nurtured, if it's not, it's just, no, it's going to sound platonic and I, I'm very <laughs> much influenced by platonic thoughts. So that's okay. But, uh, but if that rational capacity isn't nurtured in a way where it can control the actions of the individual, uh, then, then you're really uh, releasing a, a child into the, into the world who uh, will be subject to to his uh, uh, to his whims um, and and unable you know potentially unable to uh, uh, to respond according to his his uh, his highest capacity. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I would like add to that to you know speculate that we delay that for too long, right? That that basically um, treating young people as rational beings and uh, I, I think we, ex- yeah, somehow there is a there is a change that takes place between elementary school, middle school, and high school and college. <clears throat> but between, let's say, elementary school and middle school, the way that the change is normally understood and characterized is that like um, you're going to get more homework, grades are going to matter more, you're going to be tested more, uh, and the the pace is going to accelerate, right? Like the then the the difficulty like of the content is going to increase. So it's just this sort of like. Um, um, this is what's understood as being we see you differently now 
right? Like, like you're different. You're not the same as you were in uh, third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade or whatever. Now you're different. You're more mature. Or like, yeah, and I would even say somehow these things are going to make you more mature, right? Like, <laughs> it's sort of like, yeah, the, the yeah. question is, is like, is the maturity coming from the, the human being, right, through their development? Or is the maturity being forced by the environment? And and I, I yeah, I think this is maybe a fundamental difference in the way I, you know, theorize about it, the way I understand it and the way, you know, typical, a typical school institution understands it is they see the, the child as not wanting to mature, right? Being resistant to maturity and development and that these elements of the institution need to come and force that to happen, Yeah. right? Uh, whereas like, actually, I think that those elements come and they, they delay the actual development that needs to happen because they force that, that development in some uh, different direction. They actually um, distort that development. Whereas it's a, it's a natural thing that if it are allowed if it's allowed to happen, I think for most young people would happen. I mean, it would happen in a really successful, satisfactory way. But um, because they're not seen and treated in the right way, it gets distorted, and that's why you end up in high school, for example, with these young people who uh, have to be threatened and bribed to do things that are for their own good. Coerced <laughs> yeah. is the what I think of. Yeah. yeah, they have to be coerced to do things that that it's just really frustrating that they themselves are not able to see how this makes sense for them, you know? Uh, and and it's almost like you're still trying to do the same thing that, you know, you were probably supposed to do in middle school, <laughs> right? Which was to use the tools that you have as an adult to force them to, to mature and grow up. But it just seems like this just keeps getting prolonged. <clears throat> and maybe the time when it actually happens is, is when they get out of the institution. And that's the time when it can actually, you know, maybe this growth can take place. Uh, is that the, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's not your satisfactory conclusion, though, is it? No, no, yeah. Like, because why, yeah, like, why would we be satisfied with that when that right. could happen in right. middle school, you know, middle right. school? I just wanted to clarify. Right, it yeah, like yeah, were, exactly. Yeah. And my point is, is that would make high school a completely different place. Right. Right. You know, if that took place, if that development happened naturally, what I'm saying, maybe, you know, I, with, I'm just speculating that that development would happen naturally at a younger age. You know, it happened to a <clears throat> preteen human being rather than to a, you know, a college age human being or, or even later. Um, yeah. And this would go would align with the kinds of critique of our schooling that says that it actually you know, delays the the maturation of the students, or like you know, the way it's kind of colloquially, colloquially, <laughs> the way it's kind of put is that schools make <laughs> make children dumb, right? Yeah. Uh, that it dumbs kids down, right? It doesn't mean that it like removes knowledge from their heads, <laughs> right? <laughs> like obviously, like a high school student who. <clears throat> is studying algebra or pre-calculus or something is not hasn't been dumbed down from that that kid who was studying arithmetic but it's a dumbing down in terms of this some kind of natural growth of their rational capacity and independence that hasn't been allowed to happen yeah and 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 to add to that it's it's nurtured uh, another uh, another capacity, which is, uh, uh, you know, tends to be, uh, well, I, let's say, it, which will default to maybe a more selfish capacity, like a, a selfishness of, of, right. of survival, you know, and, and get through it and play the game and win the game if possible. Right. And so, uh, and, and the, oh my God, we, we, and we do so many things that, that, uh, that harm our ability to speak 
uh, to students about education rationally, not the right. least of which is grades. But right. <laughs> right. that that maybe will be a soapbox I get on some other time. Yeah, but. yeah. Like we we've talked about before, it it just creates good game players, right? right? People who right can, or or or, yeah. or people who because they're you know they have their own interests, they don't want to play the game, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, it basically, uh, yeah, we keep putting students in a position where they have to understand the rules, right? Understand, like, where there's a defined, uh, what, you know, success is defined in a very particular way. Failure is defined <clears throat> as anything, you know, other than that. And there are rules set up for achieving that success. And their job is to internalize those rules and put them into practice in order to achieve that success, right? Whereas like, but then like you said, as as beings with free will and, and their own desire for independence, many of them, or at least, you know, some of them will will, will reject it completely. And, and these are the ones I, I think to a large degree are become seen as like problem students or bad students, maybe get expelled, you know, have problems in school, right? Not all kids who have problems in school, this is not the reason for all of that. But there's any, you know, I think probably anyone who's been spent any significant amount of time in school can bring like an example of this type of person to their mind. And then there are some who just sort of figure out the game in a way where they're not trying to, or they they sort of give up on the idea of coming out on top, you know, somewhere along the line, and they just figure out a a sort of formula for survival or getting through it and, you know, until the end. And then there are some who realize that they have what it takes to win this game, (laughs) right? Right, They're in contention. They're in contention for winning this game. And those are the ones who are, you know, become these these high achieving students. Yeah. Well, you know, this uh, suddenly uh, an example jumps into my mind. (laughs) About like uh, as a as a newly graduated uh, uh, like college graduated uh, person, <laughs> like I, I I had a phrase in my head and it, it's completely failed me. But uh, yeah. but yeah, right when I came out of college and I got my first job, uh, and I wasn't a motivated like this is. I'm 21 uh, when I graduate college, and I'm not a highly motivated learner. I haven't been a highly motivated learner uh, throughout my – it was basically subject by subject, you know, teacher by teacher. It was totally, totally dependent upon those things uh, rather than, you know, me thinking, oh, okay, uh, I want – you know, this will be good for me to learn. And even if it's not good for me to learn, it's good for the rational part of my mind to have some say in what we're going to do today. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I wasn't mindful at all about my education uh, in the way that we're talking about. <clears throat> I remember getting my first job and just, you know, you get into it and you just start doing the, you figuring out the rules. You're like doing the thing you're supposed to do. Right. And like two weeks into it, I get a paycheck. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and that, I, I was like blown away by that because I, <laughs> like I was so, mo- <laughs> I was so in the, in, in the trained mode of like, you just do a lot of work and, <laughs> and nothing happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that when I got a paycheck, I was like, oh my gosh, of course. Of course you get paid in a job. And I mean, I obviously <laughs> knew it, but right. like the when it actually happened and I was like, well, this is a million times easier than school and they're paying me. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, 
you know, it, it sort of put in my mind like a really clear uh, problem with school, which is is that uh, which wasn't so much. I mean, at the time, it might have been that. Oh, well, you know, why are we paying for this? But uh, but upon a little bit more mature reflection, uh, you know, I think of it more in terms of uh, we're not. Uh, uh, it's easy for a student to get so dissociated from the potential benefits of school uh, that it that it when he gets out, it might actually seem like he just went through a, a completely insane and backwards process. Right. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, that's how you know that's how uh, that's how I felt at the time. Yeah. Because yeah. you know what had I subjected myself to like years of tri- striving for a grade that had no mat- no material impact on my life. Yeah. Uh, you, you know years of uh, uh, of going to cl- you know classes that I didn't enjoy and paying for the insult. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and like I, I, I had a really cynical like response there because, you, and, and then the job that I was doing out of college, uh, which was uh, copy editing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't college that taught me how to do that job. It was right. doing the job because yeah. I came, I came in somehow with like British spellings. I'm not sure, <laughs> <laughs> like that was knocked out of me pretty quick. You know, yeah. opinions about the Oxford comma all of a sudden were like in the forefront of my mind. Right. And so, I mean, none of this stuff was like I wasn't trained for it at school and I don't think school should train. I think right. the way we do school has a lot of potential. Uh, it's just that this lack of uh, uh, of buy in from the from the rational side of, of the mind and giving the, uh, you know, sort of the full truth to the students about what's going on there and also maybe giving them, an, you know, an, uh, options to opt out is really like it's really missing. And yeah. yeah, I would have been a good student for like a gap year or something where, you know, before I got into college. I, But that's like we have to do things like gap years because because we don't have a good way of talking to students about what school is doing for them. Right, yeah. And so it's like, go experience the world, and then <laughs> right. you'll understand what school is doing for you. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that well, that, that can be really helpful for some students, but also you could, for many students, probably just explain, you know, have these conversations over time about, you right. know, what are we doing here? Right, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I'm imagining someone listening to our conversation and they might say, feel that we build this as being about mystification, demystification, but then we just went to criticizing the conventional approach to school. So I want to just take, the, <laughs> take it back to that before we end the, end the conversation. So here's, here's how, I, you know, how I think we got here is because all these things that we've been talking about, this approaching students as being uh, non-thinking objects to a certain extent that just need to be trained and, and conditioned uh, in a way like like Mr. Miyagi was kind of doing with with Daniel, this is what Mr. Smith, the teacher that we were you know referring to at the beginning in Smith's world in his classroom this these are the things that he was trying to work against. He was trying to break students out of this this approach right but our 
you know, sort of diagnosis of why that didn't seem to work very well. It, it has to do with a lot of things, like, you know, basically what he's up against, too, you know, is, can't be, you know, uh, denied. But just in that world of his of his classroom, I think the fact that what he was then presenting to them as as what they needed to do in, in his world was equally as mystifying, mystified and mystifying, if not more, right, than, than what he's trying to, to lead them out of. And I think this is a mistake, and it's a mistake that's to mystify something for, for human beings capable of, of thought and rational uh, consideration of things is to treat them in the same way that that original you know, institution that, that you're trying to help them that, uh, out of, it's doing basically the same thing. And so it's most likely doomed to a sim- similar failure, probably a worse one, because you're dealing with people who, who have been institutionalized for such a long period of time. But like the key is that the characteristic that both of these share is not taking advantage of and, and allowing that individual to benefit from the fact that they are capable of being conscious and mindful and thinking. Yeah, and I don't, <laughs> I don't think we really nailed the mystification that we've talked about. I mean, like we did, we talk about it. You've right. done a good job of of justifying that. The, <laughs> the, 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 what you're assuming will be the title of the show. Yeah. But, uh, but there's a lot of other aspects to this, especially in terms of like uh, um, administrative approaches. Uh, right. And yeah. uh, especially when you get into the professional training uh, side of things yeah. where uh, where you're being instructed to do things uh, in your classroom that that don't immediate that don't at first prioritize the rational uh, capacity of the young person. Right, um, but are are sort of like a an oblique way for them to just learn content, like a, an oblique right. approach to trick them into learning content. Yeah, um, and really, I think what we're talking about here is is like a, a larger educational theory that that conversation needs to be in the forefront of any successful student's mind. And when I say right. successful, I don't mean grade successful. I mean someone who. <laughs> Who can uh, is benefiting from their from their education? Yeah, who who knows why you? Yeah, who knows why you give up the time and the money to do this right. thing? Yeah, who, who can understand yeah. that? So right, I mean, yeah, I guess you know, I'm thinking about it. You're right. Like there, this is a much bigger issue than than just the mystification, pra- mystif- uh, mystifying practices of a teacher in in, in his classroom. Uh, I guess the reason I want to focus on that is because, like, that's what gives me hope of of trying to do the same thing but succeeding. <laughs> you know, right, right, yeah. That, <laughs> that's why. actually, we should say the reason this is in our minds is because uh, you know we're, we're looking at uh, you know, picking up some some history. Uh, you know, being the it's a significant uh, shift for both yeah. of us, and that we uh, we're looking at picking up some some history curriculum. And uh, while we're both like well versed in the humanities, uh, that you know, feeling like we need to do that comes with the feeling of like, well, we gotta we gotta make sure we do it right. Yeah. And so this has been in our minds because we're like, okay, we see a lot of things that Mr. Smith was doing that we like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then, but then we've also got <laughs> <laughs> the feedback, <laughs> like we say, like a a certain well established opinion uh, right. uh, from our members. Of uh, of when this wasn't working for students that you would expect it to work for, right? So yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, so we're trying to examine that, right? So yeah, 
yeah, better luck to better luck to us in terms of that. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll come up with some other concept of about <laughs> about our struggles in a year yeah. or so. I suppose yeah. probably. Yeah. We'll so see. maybe we can uh, use this as um, to give a preview of probably where our discussions will will be going and and how they'll develop too. Is because my situation is changing next year and that I've been doing full-time administration for the last three years. And so next year, I'm going to return to being a classroom teacher as well. And um, so it's going to be really interesting for me because it's been, you know, several years since I've been a classroom teacher. And so returning to that, there's a mixture of, of like trying to still benefit from the experience that I had before and apply those lessons. But at the same time, I, I one of the lessons I learned <clears throat> is that I know that, you know, whatever preconceived notion I have going into the classroom can be very quick destroyed <laughs> and be exposed as being false. Uh, right. So for me, it's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm feeling the pressure of that. And also just the the excitement of, of having that opportunity again to work with students in the classroom and to, um, you know, try to create uh, an environment and a space for, for their learning. So for me, that's it. And like for you, you know, it's also you'll be teaching uh, yeah, history well, as a subject. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, don't, don't, don't give it all away yet. <laughs> just because oh, I sorry. To, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, this will be published before any official announcements are made. Right. Yes, oh, yeah. we're, Strike that. Yeah, from we're the... in a situation. So I teach philosophy uh, now, and I I also sometimes will teach an English class. But uh, but we're in a situation where we basically uh, don't have a full time position that needs to be filled next year. Uh, but we have two classes that very much need to be uh, you know handled the right way. Yeah, and so. You know, I'm like, I'm trying, I'm struggling with myself. Like, do, do I, am I, like, am I smart enough, right? It's like, (laughs) am I I smart enough to teach history? Because it does feel like history is a subject. I mean, I feel like literature is like this too, but it's like, there's, you, you can study and study and like, you feel like, you know, so much, but then, then there, this like other door can open and you're like, oh, Right. There's this whole, uh, you know, civilization that I was able to completely ignore because right. I was I was building up my knowledge on this uh, on this one side of things. And then your whole like it, it just feels like uh, uh, and, and this is part I, I think <laughs> my only hope is, is that I imagine this must be how historians feel uh, <laughs> right. is, is that uh, this it's it's not an easy narrative to to necessarily uh, pull together. Right. Um, when you're trying to understand all the all the connections between things, right. and and so yeah, I, I sit there and I'm looking at the you know the IB history guide, and I'm like, this is a, <laughs> this, is a this is a big this is a big deal. So yeah, uh, so yeah, I don't know where I am exactly uh, going to be next year. I know I'll still be in the classroom, but uh, whether or not I can handle the history uh, request is going to be. Uh, yeah, we'll talk in a year, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, so, Sean, I was trying to build anticipation for our future episodes. <laughs> oh, that's smart. Yeah, <laughs> smart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this will be a you know the drama that unfolds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although yeah. you know, of course, we won't get into you know details, but uh, just in general. Uh, all right, Sean, uh, appreciate it. Uh, we thank our listeners for joining us again, and we'll continue the conversation next time. All right. We'll see you, John. Okay. Stop.